Thank you for listening to the BJJ Brick Podcast. We'll be bringing you Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and good times. We hope to help you get the most out of your grappling ability and meet your goals both on and off the mat. Welcome back, my friends, to the BJJ Brick Podcast. This is episode 351, and... uh, I'm here with my good buddies, Byron and Gary, and I think we're just uh, shooting the breeze here for about an hour today. We're going to talk about uh, lessons we've learned in life and maybe how they've helped us learn lessons on the mat as well. Uh, Byron, tell us a little bit about this episode and what we can expect. Well, it's, this has been a, uh, a staple of the show for a while here. I don't keep track of how long we do things, but over a year easily, I would say. That we'll we'll share a little snippet from off the mat life, and then say, well, because I learned that, I now do this on the mat, or it could be vice versa. I learned this on the mat. I learned how to, uh, you know, how breaking down the arm bar into seven, you know, a bunch of little different chunks. And now, when I'm learning how to uh, fix my lawnmower, I just break it into little chunks, and it makes more. So just little things that we've learned. And that's not going to be mine. That sounded terrible. I just made that up on the fly. But just things that we've learned off the mat or on the mat and how we've brought that into their other lives. That's been one of my favorite questions to ask people when I interview them. If I get somebody on here who is uh, specializes in a certain area of life that's not jujitsu, I will often say, how does, that, how does that translate? Or have you learned something from that field that you brought back over to jujitsu? And I think it's basically yes every time. And then they have an interesting angle to jiu-jitsu that i've never heard before i like that byron um it kind of reminds me of cal ripkin jr you know i know we're talking about life lessons but you know i know if you guys follow baseball you know cal ripkin jr held the streak for most games played uh consecutively he played 2632 games what the heck is that it sounds like joe playing guitar oh i didn't realize the mic was still on (laughs) <laughs> I was like, what the heck is that? He's bored enough um, to where he's doing something else while we're podcasting. <laughs> Joe's causing a little distraction here, um, but don't worry. I'm stubborn and I'll get through it. Um, but just talking about Cal Ripken Jr., uh, life lesson for jiu-jitsu. And, you know, one thing I always talk about when I started oh, jiu-jitsu. I can't hear any of you. Damn it. Okay, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to call this right now. Uh, these gentlemen are trying to play a joke on me, and uh, I do applaud the effort, but it's uh, I've got to get figured out. <laughs> so uh, no. yeah, let's see where this goes. Now my Cal Ripken story is just destroyed. No, I, I know Cal Ripken. He was a golf guy. Gary, hang in there with the Cal Ripken. I'm interested to see about how he had the record for the most games played of golf. Wrong. What was Bas- it? Ba- basketball. Basketball, of course. Basketball. The Ripkins. Yeah, Byron, Byron knows the sports. But, you know, after I've been so rudely interrupted twice there by Byron. Um, by me, it was Joe. <laughs> you're playing a joke on Joe. You cut him off. So, That's true. Uh, you know, don't blame it on Joe. But, you know, I'm stubborn. I'll get back into it. Um, but one, the quote of the week is from Cal Ripken Jr. Stubbornness usually is considered a negative. But I think that trait has been a positive for me. And, uh, you know, you go back to Cal Ripken Jr. He probably paid through, played through a lot of aches and pains. Um, 
um, you know, he's just a tough guy. He's an Iron Man. You ain't going to keep him out. And, you know, I think this relates to jujitsu. Um, I think it related to me and jujitsu. I can tell you when I started jujitsu, I, I just got destroyed all the time. And me, um, you know, there are people who quit, uh, if they get tapped out all the time, but for me, it was stubbornness. You know, I remember uh, training with Jason Bircher, who's been on the show before and, you know, I just couldn't believe what Jason could do. And, uh, you know, due to my stubbornness, there was no way I was going to quit. One day I wanted to get to where Jason Bircher was that point of time. The first time I trained with him, I wanted to get like that. Um, and, uh, you know, stubbornness, I think is a, is a good trait to have in jujitsu, just like Cal used it as a good trait to have in baseball. You know, Gary, I love Cal Ripken Jr. <laughs> is that <laughs> uh, we're gonna have a jam session here before before too long i think we're in the deliverance area <laughs> right now no i love cal ripkin jr and the thing i like most about him is there, there's two little things that i've seen floating around gyms all my life and one of them is a little sign that's like it's 10 things that uh uh don't cost anything or everybody can have or something and you know it's work effort and attitude and you know be on time and those kind of things and the other one is that, uh, you know, the best ability to have is availability. And those are two things that I think Cal Ripken really demonstrated. I mean, he just awesome. he, he worked hard every day. He was available every day. He wasn't worried about being the star of the game. He just showed up to work and he did it day after day after day. And, man, you'll get better at jujitsu if you approach that the same way that Cal Ripken approached baseball. I like that, Joe. Uh, how did you say that the best? Or what was that about availability? The the best ability that you can have is availability. Yeah, I mean, I it's, it's, it's good to be able to jump high and run fast and yeah. swing the bat hard. Those are all good abilities. But to be available day after day after day. I, I love that, Joe. Um, I've got this guy who worked for me for 15 years. Uh, he retired here uh, a couple of years ago. The guy showed up every morning, 8 o'clock, like clockwork. Left at five o'clock. He would never get there a minute early, never stay a minute late, never took a sick day the whole time he was there. He told me he had like over 30 years, uh, worked at Bank of America before that, had over 30 years without a sick day. Um, but when you have a team, which, you know, I know you do at work and I know you do there at work too, Byron. Man, when you have a guy that you can count on that you know is going to be there every single day unless he had scheduled a vacation, it, uh, you know, it makes, uh, you know, predictability. It makes your team that much better. You're never, uh, you're never scrambling from behind. You're always know where you're going to be when you have a guy like Cal Ripken or my former co-worker, Dennis Stokes on your team. I'm inspired by Cal Ripken and his, uh, consistency. Hey, Gary, here's the fun fact about me. When I was in school back when I was this little Byron in grade school, the only award I would ever get was uh, perfect attendance. <laughs> awesome. No, but that, I mean, to be honest, that's awesome. You know, you're doing the same things every day. You're getting up, you're getting up on time, you have a pattern, you have habits, uh, you're getting there, you're, you're staying healthy, you're eating well, um, you're getting good rest, and, you know, those are good things that are going to make you good on the mat, and that's probably one reason you have succeeded on the mat, you know, just like Cal Ripken succeeded, you know, on the baseball field, you know, why the Orioles were always so good um, when you get a guy like that, but like Joe said, he didn't have the best talent. 
you know, he didn't hit 330 every year and drive in 30 home runs, but you knew he was going to be there every day. Just a very, very good baseball player, but a very, very dependable baseball player. Well, baseball is a whole different game that we usually talk about with jiu-jitsu, but I have an uh, audiobook called Six Games for BJJ, which are also different games than what you would think about with typical jiu-jitsu. Uh, in these games, I invite you to alter the way you're training jiu-jitsu, and you'll find new things about your own game that you didn't even uh, wouldn't have considered or, or wouldn't have thought of on your own. But while you're rolling and training and positional sparring, some things will come up that'll be a little different for you, and they'll be framed in a different way. And it's a fun way to learn jujitsu. So it's six games for BJJ. It's a little over an hour long. Uh, the money goes supports the podcast here, and uh, there'll be a link in the show notes to the BJJ Brick Shop. Uh, we can find this audiobook in there. It's five ninety nine. We do appreciate you guys checking it out. You know the the cool thing about that, like you said, Byron, uh, six games for BJJ games. Let's have some fun. But uh, it was kind of cool. I know Byron was talking about it before the show got on. But we had uh, one of our listeners uh, talk about how they use those games, but not for jujitsu. You know, we always talk about dragging stuff off the mat and back on the mat. But uh, um, I don't know if you guys have ever heard of Super Dave Osborne, but he really used uh, the game Ragdoll. That was probably one of his favorites. <laughs> and um, he said it really helped him out a lot. And, uh, you know, he said he owed a lot to Byron. Oh, yeah. He always would say that. Yep. Yep. <laughs> hey, Byron, is the, is the BJJ Brick store still open? Is it considered essential? It is it's most definitely essential, or it's a type of business that doesn't require contact, and it's good to go. Okay. Yeah, the store is open for business. You could still, uh, still feature prominently in the store are bricks from Gary's house. <laughs> We don't have a so-called brick-and-mortar store. It's a virtual store. I like it. It's a virtual BJJ brick store. Are you sick and tired of your headphones not fitting around your cauliflower ears? Never again, my friends, will you need to take your phone calls on speakerphone. We are introducing CallyTunes, the world's first headphone designed to fit around your ridiculously big cauliflower ears. I never thought that when I started to do jujitsu, that I would end up not being able to wear my headphones. I mean, I tried to use a chip clip to clip the headphones to my ears, but my chips went stale. Collie Tunes comes in a multitude of colors, including clear. If you want to show off those beautiful cauliflower ears, We'll still let you do that. Oh, that's nice. I probably will get those clear ones. If you want to listen to some sweet tunes and your ears are too cauliflowered up for headphones, well, you better buy a speaker. Because not only are the Collie Tunes not supporting the BJJ Brick Podcast, they're not even real. The BJJ Brick Podcast is supported by the listeners just like you. Please check out our Patreon page in the show notes to support the show. Man, you're telling me Collie Tunes isn't even real? I'm going to have to get that 80s boombox and hold it up on my shoulder like I did earlier. Well, guys, uh, I guess we can get to work on the the main topic of the uh, the podcast this week is our off-the-mat lessons. And it'll be interesting. We've had some time to think about these, and I don't know if anybody did. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> I think that was directed towards me, probably. 
Well, uh, Joe has the ability to tell a, a, a really good story and then pull an even better life lesson from that story. So I'm sure Joe's going to do great with whatever he brings. Gary, you, you tell good stories <laughs> and you pull good lessons, and oftentimes Joe will pull a better lesson out of your own story than you will. But you you do take some – like you have to have an idea first. Like, hey, tell me one about you know back of repo and cars. You had stories for days about that. But without that, you're like, I don't know what to talk about. <laughs> Gary, maybe you have one or a couple about uh, old cars breaking down and leaving you stranded, or maybe something from your college days. I don't know what it's going to be. Um, oh, I don't. Let's don't go back to those days. I might get arrested. That's that might be the case. But that sounds like a good story, Gary, and some lessons oh. we could all learn from. So, uh, anybody wanting to go first on this thing here? Well, you know, this happened to me the other day, and uh, I thought it was a great way to. Uh, to drag it back on the mat and uh, uh, see some possibilities for it. Um, basically, uh, one thing uh, in my business, uh, you know, I, I deal with a lot of outside vendors, uh, dealerships, uh, you know, all sorts of, you know, technology companies. And, um, you know, sometimes I, I deal with them all the time. And you wonder sometimes how your company can get better. And, you know, one of the best ways, um, you know, something that we've done a lot is we will survey our vendors, survey our dealerships, survey our, our vending partners, um, you know, technology partners, and and find out, you know, if they have any ideas, uh, you know, how we're performing. And, um, you know, it made me start thinking because we just had, uh, had one with one of our big suppliers here not too long ago, basically a 360 review of us by that company. And, you know, I started thinking about it, you know, that might not be a bad thing, you know, to do for our jujitsu. Um, you know, we train jujitsu all the time. A lot of times, uh, maybe the only feedback we get is from our coach. Um, you know, kind of got me thinking that, you know, when I roll, I could sit there and talk to all my training partners. Uh, if I go to a tournament, I could wait till the tournament's over, you know, before uh, it's over and, and talk to some of my competitors, get some ideas of, uh, you know, hey, what did I do good? What did I do wrong? What could I do better? Is there something you could help me with? Uh, training partners, open mats, um, you know, just, uh, just a bunch of different ways uh, um, to get feedback from different people. Um, a lot of times if you just get feedback from one person, you know, say your coach, um, you know, your coach sees one thing. He may not uh, roll. Byron and I, our first coach did not roll very often. Um, so he's seeing feedback, you know, by watching, um, you know, which I think feedback by actually participating can be a big difference too. Um, sometimes you miss little things. And, um, you know, I just thought that would be a, a good idea. Just uh, survey my training partners, my competitors, uh, people at open mats, um, people at different gyms, and uh, see if they had any good ideas that could help me get better. That's nice, Gary. I've always found that uh, people are really willing to interact and, and give you feedback if you ask them specific questions. So anytime somebody has me in a, uh, a good submission or something whether they finish it or not i'll try and follow up with them afterwards and ask them about the setup or you know a detail that i caught that was new or something and uh, i think you can learn a lot by asking people about what they're good at you know and and that's a a strange thing that's unique to jujitsu is you know i don't see as much camaraderie in other sports as i do in jujitsu but you know i can honestly say i've never asked one person for 
advice or how to do a move or or you know help that in jujitsu hasn't been there and you know some of these people may not be my best friends but jujitsu that camaraderie is different and uh, even if you're a competitor i mean you see it all the time in the tournaments uh you, you lose to a guy all of a sudden he becomes your best friend he's your facebook buddy and uh you know he's gonna you know he'll give you some advice uh you know how to get better or you know what you did really well so gary since you, i know you play basketball imagine if uh um young guy comes and he's playing pickup with you and your group and he has somebody after one of the games how do you keep blowing by me you think the guy's gonna say well it's in my shoulder fake you know when i do this you look that way and that allows me to get by you you think the guy's the guy's not going to do that? He's going to be he's going to be buddy. I'm just going to keep blowing by you. But yeah. in ju, but in jujitsu, it's it's unique. People are willing. Like if I keep getting you in a submission, and I give you the key to defending it, I just gave up that opportunity to submit you every time. And and in a lot of sports, people aren't willing to do that. But jujitsu is unique. Yeah, it's uh, it's like a sport I've never well, I never did play before eighteen years ago, but uh, I, I've never seen that in any of the sports I've played, really, until I came to this sport, and uh, it's you know very unique in that situation. Yeah, and I'm reminded of the whole basketball thing. You know, no one's ever asked me about how I throw up so many great breaks all the time, and uh, <laughs> they, they don't, have you ever they don't... played basketball. Have I played basketball, Gary? A guy yeah. like me. Uh, Seriously, I've shot the hoops a couple times, Gary. <laughs> I've double dribbled a few times, I could say proudly. Um, but so, Gary, on yours, I was thinking, you know, the the idea of a three sixty review or just a like an overall review of how someone's doing. I was reminded of of uh, Jake Fox and Fox Fitness, where I train. That they do a, I think it's at the end of the year. They they ask for you to to review them or do a survey and, and what can we do better? Awesome. What do you guys want to do less of? What do you want to do more of? Like really open. Like what about my teaching style? Do you like or not like? And all these things. And and the thing is, he then adjusts what he does because of those. And it's just like that's really smart. He he. I could I can go teach. I don't have a gym, but if I did, I can go teach. You know these classes all the time and. Maybe I do something that just drives everybody just crazy. It's just not not productive. It just totally is, is not what they want to do. Maybe they don't want to do like a real crazy warm up. And they get survey back. Nobody likes the warm ups. So we just want to stretch a little, get get loosened up, and then start training. And I do warm up for you know, it seeds an hour. You know, like <laughs> you don't know these things unless you ask people. And typically day to day, I'm not giving somebody real feedback like. Jake, that warm up was too long. Or you 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 talked a lot during your technique portion. You showed technique for two minutes, but you talked for ten. Uh, that's not the type that's of feedback you give somebody. It just in a normal base. But if I had to write something down, I might say something. Jake, you 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 do this, you know, and then watch him. He'll make adjustments, and he wants to be the best coach he can. And it's just a, it's a it's good. He does both. He he asks for the feedback, and then he reacts to it. And they've made yeah. they made changes to their schedule. They made uh, changes to the teaching methods. They made different classes, lots of different adjustments based on the, the feedback they've gotten. Well, you know, the key is, like you said, making adjustments. You know, you have to be able to put your ego down because you may hear some stuff 
you don't want to hear. Um, and you know, that's why he's so successful. You know, uh, you do an analysis, you know, you find out what your strengths, your opportunities, your, your weaknesses and your threats are, and, um, you are going to hear stuff you don't like, but if you want to get better per se at jujitsu, per se at banking, per se at running a jujitsu gym, you know, you have to be able to hear the hard stuff. Um, you have to be able to hear that criticism. Um, you know, you don't want to just hear all the good stuff because you know, we're doing stuff that bugs people kind of like what you said. There, yeah, Byron. and you might do, do uh, something that you think is a good thing. Maybe you know I don't I don't have a clue what's happening in the banking world with Gary, but let's just say Gary shows up twenty minutes early to every appointment he has, and the feedback is Gary, you drive me crazy because I'm not ready for you at that time. Show up two minutes early or you know five minutes, but twenty minutes, Gary, you're messing up the meeting I had before that. Or something like here, Gary was you know this isn't a real thing, but like thinking I'm doing a great job. I'm going to show up extra early for this person. And it's really a negative. Like you don't know these things unless you ask. You know, uh, you talked about the long warmups and, you know, I can talk, uh, think back in the day when I first started, we had some pretty long warmups and I can tell you that the one thing that, that always bugged me, um, I, you know, cause I've always liked to go to the gym and, and, you know, I can do my running and, you know, push ups and sit ups there that when I come to jujitsu, we only had two days a week back then. I just wanted to learn and then, uh, uh, spar. And, you know, when we were cutting into a 30 minutes of, uh, you know, calisthenics, that was something I didn't like, but I never really had the opportunity. I mean, I could have said it to the coach, but, uh, you know, I wasn't really that kind of guy, but it could have, been one of the reasons I left. You know, it could have been a reason to lose some training partners. It's it's almost like if you would have said, "Coach, I don't like these these warm ups. They're they're really hard and they're long, and and I do this type of thing on my other days. I don't get to train here." Uh, that wasn't asked for the feedback. So now you have a student who we were very new critiquing somebody who's been coaching for quite a while. Like you're kind of out of your place. But if the coach asks, "Hey guys, what do you, what would you change about the? If you change one thing, what would it be?" And ninety percent say shorter warm ups. <laughs> that's yeah. valuable information to have. Yeah, it's great information, and and I think that's why Jake runs such why Jake runs such a successful business. You know, Fox Fitness is, does really well, and and I think it's that's probably a big reason for it. You know, he's he's getting uh, feedback from his customers, and he's making changes to accommodate them, and, and you know, make everybody a little bit happier. Yeah. So great job. Let me ask you this, Gary. Have you ever gotten feedback in the business world that was like you didn't like it at first, but ultimately it was really good feedback? You know, I've I've had that a lot. And you just have to sometimes sometimes you may not like it right off the bat, but you just gotta let it sink in, you know, keep your mind open. Um and then, you know, you'll see. Maybe I can get better at that. But I just got a quick funny story. Um that's what, the, Gary, that's what the whole episode is about, is, is share a little yeah. bit of a story, and we'll talk about it. <laughs> um, you know, my boss got promoted. He'd been my boss for 15 years. He's now the president of the company um, about a year ago. And uh, so I didn't necessarily have a boss for a while. You know, I wasn't really reporting to anybody, which I don't mind at all. But then all of a sudden, they brought in a, a guy to become my boss. And um, he had been my boss for a total of about a week. And it came time for a year-end review. And so I kind of figured uh, the old president or the new president would give me my review. But um, it was another guy who's who gave me the review, not even my new boss. And, you know, I was like, okay, uh, you know, no biggie. I don't care. I know I'm doing well. Well, at least I thought I was doing well. <laughs> and 
the review was great, um, but there was just one thing that really got to me, and it said uh, I didn't uh, take the change very well. And, you know, it's funny because my boss is very technologically driven, and he used to always tell me, he's like, man, you are very open to change. And I'd hear that all the time. And, you know, so I was kind of stunned. And the guy giving me the review is another guy that he's kind of like our change agent. Um, you know, he's always, you know, looking for efficiencies and a lot of it deals with my department. And, and you know, I, I just told him do whatever he wants to do. I have no problems, you know. And so I, I was just kind of stunned on that. So I remember I asked him, I was like, I don't get this. Where did this come from? I think I'm pretty open to change. And he's like, well, I do too. And I was just silent for a second. And I was like, well, then where did this come from? And he's like, well, your new boss wrote that. And I was like, you've got to be freaking kidding me, you know? And see, that's when it goes the wrong way. You know, you got somebody who doesn't know you, um, writing something and, you know, that feedback really actually kind of, you know, made me mad. And, and, you know, I was like, well, I, to be honest, I don't want to sign this thing. And, uh, you know, if he has the guts to write it, he can come over and talk to me about it. And so I just made them do it again. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, I thought that was just weird. I, it's interesting to have feedback from somebody who doesn't know you. And, and that example, I immediately he thought of. He doesn't even know me. He has a whole other person give it to me. Yeah. You know, so there's a strong way to doing that. And I did ask him, and, and I have a good relationship with him to this day. Uh, but I did ask him, I was like, where did that come from? And he's like, well, I've seen you in some meetings, and you seem kind of mad and mean sometimes. And he's like, I just thought, it, you know, you've been a little bit older, and most older people are hesitant to change. And I was like, you've got to be freaking kidding. <laughs> hey, yeah. hey, Gary, Gary, i got to ask you a quick question, though. Yeah. In, you, in your current position, are you tasked with evaluating people on a regular basis? Yes. Yep. And, and how do you do it? I mean, it, if you're like, for instance, if part of your evaluation is a one to five, do you give everybody fives if they're really good? No. Well, you know, there's a whole bunch of stuff I evaluate. But, you know, before I evaluate, I always have them evaluate themselves, too. Um, you know, I like to I like to see where they think they're coming from. And. You know, I think that has been one of the biggest differences that have made my evaluations, reviews of, of you know, people that work with me made it easier. Um, you know, I kind of see where they're coming from. And uh, I don't know, it just uh, sometimes I think they're way off, you know, compared to what I see. But then that's something we need to talk about. Why do you see yourself like this? And I see myself like this. And, and I tell you, just by having some of those conversations before the, the review, you know, we put in a lot of time beforehand, I, I find out stuff that I didn't know. You know, there's always these little things, the way somebody's doing something, but I don't see it. And, you know, sometimes when they've talked to me, it's changed my mind. Sometimes when I've talked to them, it's changed their mind. So, you know, it, uh, it's, I don't know. I just think you have to have good information and, and be open, kind of like what we were talking about, you know, on this life lesson, you know, be open to criticism, but you know, it's gotta be fair criticism. Yep, I, I agree. I just know that, uh, you know, I'm tasked with auditing our vessels on a regular basis and I often get pushed back from the captains when I'm done. I'll find several, uh, findings that need to be addressed and, um, I'll get pushed back, and I tell them nobody can run a perfect boat. I said, if if I go on any boat in the fleet and I dig enough, I'm going to find some issues. I'm going to find some things I can be critical of, and uh, 
So and so if I'm evaluating a person in the position they're working in, it's kind of the same thing. I, I'm not going to give anybody all fives. You know, I know that if I look close enough, I'm going to find some areas where you can improve. So, yeah. Yep. And that's good feedback to have. I mean, you may be a superstar. You know, let's let's just take uh, uh, LeBron James, um, you know, superstar. But I well, guarantee Gary, 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 please. He can not everybody it. knows. What, you got to say the sport, too. Ping pong. Byron, I think, Come on. Yeah. We all, ping we pong. All okay, okay, okay. Ping pong. LeBron James, ping pong. You, okay. Yeah. Ping pong. Thank you, Joe. Appreciate it. <laughs> so he's great with the paddle. <laughs> Carry on, Gary. I was just confused. No, but, uh, you know, you take a superstar like LeBron James, uh, you know, I guarantee you there's uh, areas of his game he could work on. Yep. Uh, maybe not. He's so good. No, it's the I'm same kidding. thing uh, for jiu-jitsu. We may not all be LeBron James level of ping pong players or grapplers, but even great grapplers could look at a win and find things they did wrong and find things they could do better. It's kind of like Joe. You're, nobody runs a perfect ship. Nobody has a perfect uh, grappling game. There's always room for improvement. And it's up to you to find that sometimes, but uh, keep getting better. Yep. And if I'm giving somebody feedback, I always start with that. Like, you're doing a ton of things right, but what you asked for is feedback. So I looked, and here's a couple of things I can see that you could work on. It's, Joe, yeah, is let, there let one? Let me give you this binder of all the things you've done wrong. <laughs> <laughs> uh, is, is there one or two things that almost always pops up on even a good ship captain will, will always struggle with, or is it all over the place? It's all over the place. Okay. And actually what it tends to be is the boats with the smoother operation oftentimes and the better morale and, you know, all of that's very important. They're often the ones with the, the, that are easiest to nitpick. They forgot to file this paperwork. They forgot to do this. They didn't make their deckhands do that. So it's almost one or the other, either the, the captain and chief engineer are tyrants and, and you've got those kind of issues on the boat or they're a little bit too relaxed. That's interesting. I, I never really thought about critiquing the way a boat is ran. But you think about it, you know, it's a business, but then on top of that, man, major safety issues, um, you know, out there in a boat, you need, uh, you need all the proper equipment. You need to, you know, I don't know what all goes to it, but, you know, I could just see, you know, if you have a bunch of violations, you know, that ship could be out there in the middle of the ocean in uh, major trouble if a storm comes and uh, put a bunch of people at risk. Well, it's also a community. You got eight, 10 or 30 people living on the boat 24 yeah. seven. And yep, you're right. It's a, it's a big endeavor. Yeah. Yep. All right, here. That's your your first off the mat lesson. I can't wait to hear second yeah. one. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I got it right here. Do you really? Um, no. I was thinking the other day. I was watching uh, uh, on Netflix uh, one of the QB season one or two shows, and it's just uh, it's a cool little show about uh, uh, high school quarterbacks that are getting ready to go into college. Some big time names like uh, Jake Fromm, Vince Fields, uh, you know, have been been shown on this uh, uh, this uh, Netflix documentary. Um, but, you know, I, I thought it was cool and it reminded me of, uh, you know, talking to uh, a jiu-jitsu guy. But um, one of these uh, coaches was trying to give a little pep talk before the game to his team and, you know, trying to say his team might be a little too cocky. But he was giving a story about um, – there was a circus in town and, uh, you know, the circus 
you know, is in town and, you know, getting all set up and the village was, you know, excited that the circus was here. And, uh, you know, the cl- one of the clowns was already in his clown outfit and everything. He was all excited. And uh, somehow a big fire, you should like this, Byron, uh, talking about fires, a big fire started at the, uh, at the uh, uh, circus, where the circus is going to be the fairgrounds, I guess. And so the, the head of the uh, circus said, because the clown, he's like, hey, why don't you go to the uh, go to the village and warn everybody and tell them we need some help um, because, you know, I'm afraid uh, we might not be able to take this, uh, you know, be able to keep this fire under control. And then if it crosses the field, the village is going to burn down. So the clown, you know, he's already in his clown outfit, clown makeup, and got his horns and everything, gets on his unicycle, just like Byron has in his garage, <laughs> gets on his unicycle and rides into town and gets downtown there and, you know, everybody's out and he starts, uh, you know, telling everybody, uh, you know, frantically and about what's going on and they need their help. And, uh, you know, because he's a clown, dressed as a clown, acting like a clown, riding a unicycle, everybody thinks... Uh, all the townspeople think it's a performance, uh, think that he's, they're just trying to pump it up. So more people will come, you know, tomorrow opening day for the circus. And, uh, you know, he's just going on and on and, you know, nobody would help him out. And, you know, what the moral of the story is, is, you know, don't be a clown, you know, your actions speak louder than words, you know, don't, don't say stuff. Don't, you know, how people perceive you. And, you know, it made me think of uh, jujitsu. And, uh, you know, I know we're all out right now with uh, COVID-19, not training. And by the time you listen to this, who knows, maybe people will be training because we record a couple weeks early. But about four or five months back, uh, one of my training partners uh, always talks about how he wants to get better. And we here in Wichita, Kansas, we're a very blue-collar city. Uh, we are what's called the air capital of the world, um, where so many planes are built. You know, Boeing's been here, Spirit Aerosystems here, Learjet's here, Textron's here, uh, Beach Aircraft is here, Airbus is here. Um, so we have a lot of uh, blue-collar workers, and, and aircraft, um, you know, is a cyclical business. And, you know, so there are furloughs going on. So this guy... He tells me he's furloughed for, uh, you know, four weeks, uh, and it turned into be a longer furlough. But he was telling me, he's like, man, this is the best thing in the world. I'm furloughed. I'm getting paid. Um, but now I can spend the next four weeks training every day, you know, constantly. Not every day, but, you know, training four or five days a week versus uh, one to two that he trained before. And, you know, I'm going to get so much better. And, you know, the first week I heard that so many times. Uh he trained uh, probably four days a week that first week and, uh, you know, talking about it. Week two comes along, uh, skips one day, says he's building his deck. Next day we're going to train that week. Hey, same thing. He's building his deck, skips. Next day of that week, he skipped again. Um, showed up one day that week, showed up the next time, and uh, it just kept going on for, you know, three or four weeks. But uh, all I kept hearing out of his mouth was, hey, um, you know, I'm going to train all this time. I'm going to get better. I'm going to do this. And, you know, it's like, don't talk, you know, do it. And, um, you know, it makes me think back to, uh, you know, my jujitsu career. Um, you know, I, I thought I had a pretty cool little, uh, uh, shout out from one of our, uh, listeners one time. And, you know, she was talking about how, you know, she was scared to do jujitsu at first, but she heard my little story about when I first started jujitsu and, uh, 
you know, I told my wife I was going to go try jujitsu. It's something I've been wanting to do, and I'd been talking about it for, you know, a couple of weeks uh, beforehand. And, uh, you know, I go the first day, and I got scared. I drove right by it, and, uh, you know, I was like, man, I'm going to get beat up. I'm just, I think this is going to be like a lion's den initiation, and I won't be able to do it. And, you know, but I talked the big game, but uh, I chickened out. Uh, but the next time the class came, I, I got my courage up and, you know, told myself, just do it. And, uh, you know, walked in there and, uh, and the rest is history. But, um, you know, I jujitsu all the time. I hear people say they're going to train all the time. They're going to do this. They're going to do that. And, you know, just follow your words. If you have a goal, if, if you're talking, you know, just do it. Um, and, you know, it seems simple. But, you know, I think at times I do that all the time. I, uh, I, if I'm going to say something I've, and tell it to people, I better follow through with it or people are, I'm gonna th- or people are going to think I'm that, like that clown. They're not going to listen to me. They're going to look at me with, with, with not as much respect. And so, you know, if you're not going to do something, don't, don't talk about it. Be it. Don't wear the jiu-jitsu shirts. You know, train. Train jiu-jitsu. And, uh, yeah, I was just watching that the other day and it just made me think about, uh, you know, all the people I've heard saying they're going to train jujitsu. How many people have told me they're going to come and do jujitsu with me? And, and I'm not putting anybody down for not doing jujitsu, but you know, if you don't want to do jujitsu, do jujitsu, just don't do it. Don't talk about it. Um, you know, and uh, I don't know, that's kind of a rant, I guess too, but, uh, Gary, that's, know, just, that's one of my big fears is that the guy with the deck, like maybe he really wanted to do jujitsu. He wasn't just saying that to just to be make you think he was cool. Maybe he really wanted to, but after a week or two goes by, it's out of his habit, it's out of his routine, and he found something else. And now he's playing ultimate frisbee or ping pong with LeBron. Like I don't know what he's doing, but he's not <laughs> not doing jujitsu. But that's my biggest fear with with this COVID nineteen thing. Is okay. Everybody, everybody who trains has now last lost the habit of training jujitsu like five times a week, twice a week, every day, once a week, whatever, whatever your habit was, you've lost it. It's gone. And it might be kind of tricky to get that habit back. Um, I think most of us are excited to go train, but you have to realize if you stop training for a while, your first day back, it'll be fun, but it's also gonna be really hard. And, it, that that's the way all of my days back. If I have to take a week or two off or, if, or something like that happens and I come back, it's like, man, I was pumped to get here, but now I'm rolling and this guy's got mount. <laughs> this is a hard sport. And it's just the like, Byron, does, it have, does it have to be hard? Uh, and the, what I'm saying is, you know, know your limitations. Yeah. You know, when you come back, don't go crazy. I mean, your instructor's probably going to be in that same boat, you know, um, but also too, I can think of so many times of people I've trained with back in the day. And, and I can tell you, since I started 18 years ago, I have never taken more than a month off. And that was when I dislocated some ribs. Um, but otherwise, I never really taken more than a week off, like if I go on vacation. And um, now when I go on vacation, I don't train anymore. I just go on vacation and let my body heal too. But I, I remember there would be people who haven't trained in three or four years, and all of a sudden they come back. And I always try to grab them first. And, man, we have the lightest role possible. I'm not looking to tap them out. I'm not looking to push their pace. I'm looking to make sure they have a good time and that they can come back again. 
And, you know, I think that's something that we need to tell ourselves because we are out of that habit. And, man, if you just come home all beat up and, you know, puking and uh, sore and, you know, cranked knees, it's it's not going to do us any good. See, Gary, I think the way that you approach that when you see somebody come back that's been off mats for a while, that's sort of a cultural shift, I think, in jiu-jitsu. And I think it's a good one. I think eight or ten years ago, it was more difficult to be that casual guy that only trains six or seven times a month because it's like, yeah, yeah. It's like, if you weren't ready to show up and go to war every time you walked in class, you just weren't going to ever really fit in or, or make it in jujitsu. But I think it's easier now to come in and, and, and roll at a pace that suits you and your training partners will work with you. And I, I think that's a good shift within the community. Yeah. And I don't know how often you guys uh, listen to Tom DeBlass. You know, I know he's been on the show, but man, one thing that always sticks out that I see him say all the time is 99% of your students aren't competitors. Um, you know, they're guys with jobs who might want to train one day a week, and it could be there to lose weight. It could be to for self-defense. It could be for social, you know, uh, settings. It could just be to get more flexible. Um but, you know, I think back in the day, there weren't as many schools and, you know, it was a lot more hardcore. Um, but, you know, you look how successful Tom DeBlass, Blass's gym is and you see him as a great competitor and you see his buddies, you know, uh, uh, Gary Tunnan, uh, uh Gordon Ryan, Nikki Ryan and all those guys as great competitors. And and you think he's a huge competition gym but if you follow him you'll see uh you know he's got the 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 wives the husbands the lawyers the doctors the the ditch diggers the tractor trailer drivers uh you know he's got everybody and uh um you know he understands that not everybody wants a workout like that not everybody's going to get in the ring not everybody's going to compete and the ma- vast majority of them aren't in it for that reason yeah, good good point, Gary. Gary, you mentioned uh, quite a bit about uh, that, the the clown story, and I'm I'm going to just do a, uh, a little competition between you two gentlemen here. Uh, I'm gonna right. I'm gonna we'll start off. Gentleman. I'm gonna start off. Uh, I'm gonna start are a joke. To, are, are we trying to see who the biggest clown is? No, that's well. I guess I ultimately, guarantee so. it would be me. Okay, Gary, you uh, you, you want to go first or second? Oh, I always go first. Okay. <laughs> How do, how do you, Gary? I don't know if he starts first, but he always finishes first. <laughs> okay, Joe's already ahead. That was pretty good. Uh, <laughs> Gary, your one question. How do you stop a clown from smiling? You know, the thing is, I'm not going to stop a clown from smiling. That's that's wrong. Smiling, it's wrist locks, you know, Gary. Smiling wrist locks. Just no, smiling just gets everybody in a better mood. See, I would have also you're, accepted you're, a heel hook. No, you're talking about violence. I, I, I the, totally the, cl- the clowns that I know, they smile right through those wrist locks. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Joe, you, Joe, you're up. The, for for the potential, Joe, for this, for the chance to win, if you're attacked by a group of clowns, what do you do? I know. Full guard. For the juggler. What do you do, Gary? Go for the juggler. Go for the juggler. That's right. So Gary, Gary with the steel, man. Well, actually, I posted that on my Facebook page not too long ago. <laughs> Byron didn't. Byron didn't think you'd remember. With, 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 with Gary, with material like that, the the listeners are flocking to find your page. 
Oh, that was very nice. That's funny. No, you do both a you both post funny stuff all the time on your Facebook pages. Not me so well, much. Bart, okay, here's your question. Okay. Oh Who man. Who posts funnier stuff? Joe or I? Who knows funnier stuff? Facebook Post. funnier stuff. I have no idea. That you both hey. you, you both beat me and I, he's a he's afraid to review us, Joe. Well, he he doesn't want to say it, but uh it's that Shimani guy that uh that, that's who he, that's who he gets a kick he out. He usually, of. yeah. He would if if he was in the competition, you both lose. Yeah. Well, that was that was some good off the mat lessons, Gary. I'll see you guys next week. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Joe, you want to go next, or you want, should I hop on? I'll throw one out. Real okay. Quick. Um. So something happened on Friday, and actually, it happens on most Fridays. I got a, a message from Byron, a message to Joe and Gary. Are you guys free to record this weekend? And I said yes, and Gary said yes, and that was the last we heard until, like, this morning. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't have it Saturday. <laughs> it, it, it's an ongoing joke at my house. Whenever I'm home, my wife's like, uh, what you got going on this weekend? Well, I'm recording at some point. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so so we joke about that a lot. Um, we also joke about uh, when we do an article of the week that Gary and I never read it till five minutes before. But then on the other hand, Byron doesn't send us the notes until 10 minutes before. So, um, yeah, we, we joke about these things. But what I'm getting at it is if they really bothered me, like if it bothered me that Byron uh, hit us up to record on Friday and then just – flaked off on nailing down a time until the last minute. <laughs> the, the the first way to address that would be to talk to Byron about it. We joke about these things all the time. I got to make sure he understands that's an issue where we can't deal with it. If it bothers Byron that uh, we're not reading the articles, he needs to send us to him early and say, hey, guys, I really appreciate it if you read this before the show. And maybe make uh, him really interesting to you guys. That, that would help, too. But <laughs> but the first order of business is always communication. And the reason I wanted to bring this lesson is because in the uh, five or seven or eight years, I kind of been paying attention to the jujitsu community and, and, you know, following different people online and stuff. You see questions that are asked over and over again. And, and they're along the lines of, you know, a, a girl will call in or write in and say, you know, there's a guy in, in class. It seems like a nice guy, but he always asks me the weirdest questions or makes the weirdest comments before we roll. Like, uh, what kind of perfume are you wearing? Or I like that lip gloss and it's just weird. How, how do I address this? Or somebody else will write in and say, I'm 48 years old. I weigh 160 pounds and the other three white belts are killing me every class. How do I deal with this? Usually the first uh, first thing you want to do is talk to your coach. you got to communicate. You might might want to talk to the individual too, but sometimes that's not appropriate. But talk to the coach. If you get beat up every class or like Byron was talking about, you, you got a problem with the way the class is structured, talk to the coach and uh, let them know. Joe, that's funny you were talking about, uh, you know, hey, you guys free this weekend or Sunday. Um, so, you know, I checked before I went to bed last night to see if we had a time. <laughs> down <laughs> so then I, I i set my alarm for 8 15 because a lot of times we do this at 8 30 in the morning and uh you know so i woke up and i don't have my glasses with me i you know so i couldn't even read and i was too tired to get out of the bed so i'm trying to read the darn thing and you know i can't tell so uh i think i put we recording or what time or whatever and byron had already put it at night but uh i still couldn't see it so uh 
once I realized that uh, finally after I saw it, I was like, cool, I'm going back to bed. But uh, yeah, so just as you said that, it was a funny story with, with me there too, trying to figure out what time we're, we're recording. I try to like leave it open for you guys, but I think it probably would be easier if we just if I said, "Hey, does this time work?" and then yes or no. But I just I always assume like, well, maybe they're juggling things around, but maybe ironing it down a time earlier on would be would be better. But it it doesn't help that eighty percent of our conversations over our chat thing are joking or teasing each other. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah i i don't know I, the same thing with like the example i gave that wasn't a real one that, like gary shows up to work super early and and it's driving everybody crazy like gary it's too early to be here like hey byron let's iron down a time sooner and not be so open it's easier for me to to pick my day out earlier versus later i don't know maybe you guys care maybe you don't care that much i don't know yeah, but I, I think we're all different. Like, if you talk to my wife, I don't plan anything. I do everything by, you know, just hey, I want to do something now. I'm doing it now. You know, I hate it when my wife wants to plan stuff. Um, I hate it when she we go on vacation and she pulls out, you know, hey, here's where we're stopping the first night on our on our drive out there. It's like, you know, that's ridiculous. What so if how, to, how is that bad, Gary? I don't understand how that's bad. I know, like, right? You don't need a place to stay your first night. Day one, you don't know what's going to happen. Maybe I want to drive farther. Oh, you know? I see. I, see. I don't. You no, know, that's how I am. It's, uh, but my wife likes to plan, and I don't plan anything. And uh, it's, uh, I'm surprised we're still together. No, well, I think that but, so, those, those so, sort of things work out great really, because yeah. you, you need somebody I, to pick up your weak areas. If you like, I don't have any weak areas. In planning is your weak area, Gary. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, get Gary, she planned on keeping you, and you haven't planned on leaving yet. So, <laughs> uh, I guess you're right. Oh, Joe, that's yeah. nice. But Byron, I really don't care that we don't knock down the time. I just wanted to know if we were going at eight thirty or later. That was my big yeah. Thing. That's so. I mean, but Joe, you're probably more of a planner, and it bugs Joe more. Um, but me, I do everything off the seat of my pants. Everything. 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 But, Joe, I do like that. Uh, you know, like what you're talking about, that weird guy. Uh, you know, it's, uh, you know, ask questions. You know, don't be afraid to uh, to communicate. Communication is huge. I mean, not just in jujitsu, but in relationships, as we just talked about, in business world, um, really everything. But uh, communication is very key right there. Yeah, and let's say you were paying your coach for private lessons. You, you decided that was a good thing. You had the money, and you were going to take a private lesson a month. If two or three months into it, you weren't getting what you anticipated, you could keep just spending the money if you want. But it would be much easier just to have an open dialogue with him and say, here's what I thought we were going to do, and 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 then work it out from there. Wh- whatever the, the issue is, you can't go wrong with just having good open communications. And Byron, you've taught me a lot about that um, communication, and I know Byron's not waiting for the j- joke to come, but uh, this one's actually serious. <laughs> but, you know, I never forget one time I was like, you know, hey, that guy's a jerk, you know, he's beating up all the new people. I'm going to go roll with him and, uh, you know, tap him out real quick. And I'll never forget Byron's like, man, that's the worst possible thing you can do. Why don't you just go over and talk to him? And uh, he may not know. And, you know, I felt like the so freaking small, you know, I, I – 
I hate to say it, but that never even crossed my mind. But uh, so now, you know, I try to uh, communicate and think before I act. Um, but uh, yeah, so I never really thought about that. But like Byron says, uh, told me that day and it's great advice. But a lot of times maybe somebody hasn't talked to him. Um, you know, uh, Byron will talk to anybody. You know, I've seen Byron tell people to put a shirt on if we're going to roll. You know, uh, I've seen Byron tell people it's like, man, did you think about washing your shirt before we rolled? And I mean, those are hard things to say, but they're actually good things to say because maybe that person will take Byron's advice and more people will roll with him and and like that person better. Um, Another example, we've got another really big guy who is just big, strong guy with terrible technique, but, you know, he'll tap you out with can openers and headlocks and stuff like that. And, you know, I've told Byron, I won't roll with that guy anymore. And Byron's like, have you ever just talked to him? And, uh, it's like, no. <laughs> and, you know, I look at him and Byron roll and, and they roll a lot different. Um, and you know, and so he still has training partners and a lot of that has to do with Byron. Well, I, I knew the guy talking about, I told him on the first day, guys aren't going to want to train with you because he, we, we, we rolled pretty hard for quite a while and he's very physical and, and I don't know what he weighs, but he's, he's big and he's not overweight, like fat. <laughs> and I, he was a football lineman. Okay. It, that's, that's, uh, kind of, kind of like LeBron James probably. Right. Yeah. Like a, like a ping pong lineman. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to keep working on this LeBron James angle. Uh, no, but I, I told him flat out, I said, because he was new there, and I said, guys are going to not want to roll with you if, if all of your rolls are really hard and, and and you play dominating positions the whole time. I said, I, I swept him, I think, I don't remember, I could be wrong, maybe once the entire first roll, and it was a no-time roll. We rolled for until, I think I said, I'm just done. Like, oh, your head fell off? No, I don't, well, maybe... <laughs> <laughs> but I think we just rolled for like 15 or 20 minutes. And I was like, I'm done. And I was not just done with him. I was done rolling because I was exhausted. And I said, it's going to be tough for you to come in here and, and get a lot of good rolls because I want to roll with like five people at least today. And I rolled with one. And and I said, you're going to have to slow things down. You're going to have to play some some guard positions. You're going I swept him. And, it, and I got on top and he worked for him, his guard within – 30 seconds he's bullying me back down to my back I'm like oh i can't believe it man i worked so hard to get there it's, but yeah the conversations i think are important and it is odd but i i'm decent at telling somebody that that they kind of smell funky today and I, I do like to blame like gary says i like to blame the clothes i like man your shirt's pretty ripe man did you wash it yeah i washed it i think maybe it's time to just throw that shirt out because I, I i don't really want to oh. roll right now like the I've had was, lots of those because nobody else does those conversations. It's easier to blame the, the clothes for stinking than the them than themselves. But if that if I think it's them, I'll say, "Did you, man? You're a little bit funky. Did did you did you shower before you came in?" Or a softer way to do that is just, just to mention that I've showered right before I showed up to work out. It seems weird to shower before I come exercise, but I know that we're, that this is a close contact sport where we spread corona like crazy, and I want to be at least smelling decent before I give you the <laughs> virus. <laughs> oh, i remember man. when you asked asked one of the guys it's like hey did you uh mow your yard before you came and he's like huh and he's like yeah your shirt's kind of funky and, <laughs> yeah yeah it's a good way to say it yeah we had one guy come in he just got some uh massage and he had all these weird oils on him so not only did he <laughs> smell funny he was like really crazy I, <laughs> I was like i started i'm like what's on your skin oh i got a massage 
I tried. I'm like, I can't. I'm not done, man. Because now I'm going to give this same massage oil to everybody else I roll with now. I'm going to go wash my hands and call it good. But yeah, in the example, Gary, you mentioned that it made you feel you felt like you were small or whatever. Like it's not the attention. Gary's got everybody loves it when Gary's on the mat. Like he's 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 fun. He's he's very helpful, and not my intention to make Gary or anybody feel small. But but that's the thing when somebody's rolling too hard with people. And you go smash him, and and or not you, but anybody goes, and that's that's typically the answer in jiu-jitsu. That's still, I think, the 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 standard practice in jiu-jitsu is have an enforcer go beat them up. But then, so if the, let's just say it was me, I like man, I'm I'm decent. I've been training for a little while. I'm stronger than everybody. I go out and I start smashing all these new guys. It's pretty fun. And then I roll with Gary, and he just annihilates me. Well, that's what we do here. That's jujitsu. Gary just enforced that that uh, jujitsu is a rough sport, and if I can do something, I do that. But if if you talk to the person and say, "Hey, you both should be getting something out of this training session. You, your training partner should be getting a chance to do some techniques too." Uh, and I'm not seeing that out of out of what you're bringing. You're just this isn't a fight. This is training, and just a short conversation can change the environment on the mat almost immediately. You know, something I've found has helped recently uh, with guys that are rolling rough, you know, new guys, young guys, is explaining to them, talking about the consequences, the more long-term consequences. I had a guy that face-choked me a couple times recently. Like, <laughs> we're st- we're starting with uh, him on my back, hooks in, seatbelt grip already. We're positional sparring. And, I mean, as soon as the coach says go, he's just on my face and – you know, so we we did that a couple times, and I told him I'm I'm done. I'm not going to do it anymore. Uh, and I I told him why, and, and it, I said it's not that I'm worried about. Oh, you just uh, you get me to tap two or three times. I don't care about that. But I says what you're doing. If you end up splitting my lip open, and I've got to go in for stitches, and I can't train for five or six weeks or three weeks or whatever, that nah, we're not going to be able to be friends after that. You know, <laughs> I was just kind of yeah. joking, but <clears throat> but kind of explained to him if you if you're neck cranking me, I'm not worried about if I have to tap right now. I don't mind tapping, but if you crank my neck to the point where it's tweaked and I can't train for a couple weeks, that's not going to be good. Joe, a funny story. Byron was talking about that big guy. Um, That guy had my back one day, and he's going for a rear naked face choke. And, uh, (laughs) you know, he had it on, and, you know, for probably a good 30 seconds, and I went to tap, and uh, finally I got out of it, and it was, you know, straight on the mouth. And he's like, man, I can't believe you tapped. I was all over that. Or you didn't tap. I was all over that. And as I turn around, my whole face is blood. I put two teeth through my lip. And, uh, you know, came out the other side and I was like, you really thought you were underneath my chin, you know? And it's just, uh, you know, he, just, he, yeah, he didn't think he was under your chin. He didn't he care. Was, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He didn't care. You know, he was saying it was perfect, but I mean, even today after speaking with him, I still won't roll with him. Yeah. yeah so here uh, I knew, yeah. I didn't know the story would end with, uh, you, you putting a hole through your lip, but I knew that you weren't going to tap to a choke like that. I guarantee you, know, you I would have tapped. For me, I would have tapped. I was. I would. I tap when I'm uncomfortable for my neck. You're smarter than me. That was stupidity of me, and I went home, put some glue on it, and uh, that was it. But, um, but stupidity. That isn't smart. I should tap from that. But I don't get mad very often. But I get mad in situations like that, you know. And I, and you know, and and, and I you, tell myself I tap get, to that. You wouldn't get so mad if you just tapped. 
That's yeah. true. Well, they prevent that. And, and, yeah. and you can cultivate a good training part. I'm not, <laughs> no. I'm not picking on you, Gary. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> on his feedback. <laughs> <laughs> no, but Byron will tell, tell you I'm my own worst enemy. Um, I don't. You're way, you're way more forever. stubborn and tough than I am. That's for sure on the mats. Like, I'm, I'm not forever. a tough guy on the mats. You know, I'll, I don't take time off. I mean, I, I don't. I tell everybody to do the opposite of me, um, really, when I'm rolling. I tell them, don't be like me, or you're going to end up crippled like me. Yep. So we've got, uh, you know, the the master's kind of got everything's rest on his shoulders on the vessel. And by the time you get to be 45, 50 years old, you've been running for running boats while you've sort of developed a, a way that you do it and some stories and there's a small percentage of guys that a lot of their stories are, I ran this guy off, I had this engineer that sucked, and I told the crew coordinator, don't ever send this guy back. And Like, I've got such high standards, I don't put up with bullshit. You come on the boat, you're not ready to do your job, you're going home, I don't care. And, and they take pride in having those super high standards and that it's my way or the highway attitude. And I strongly disagree with that. I think the master of the boat, part of your job is to take the crew that's been handed to you and make the best out yes. of it. And, and it's sort of, uh, I'm talking to you, Gary, it's sort of that way with training partners. <laughs> it's, sort of that way, it's sort of that way with training partners, too. You get a room full of training partners, you can run half of them off, or you can try and make them all <laughs> into a team. Uh, I'm out. Well, no, I, I, Byron, I think will will admit to this that I'm probably one of the. I think I'm a pretty easy guy to train with. Yeah, uh, I will let you tap me numerous, numerous times. I, you know, if you're new, um, if you're, you know, I don't get mad if I get tapped, except for if you're gonna face choke me. Um, but uh, I, I do not believe that person can be helped. And Byron, I bet you don't roll with him anymore. No, I I positional spar with him, and it's and it's yeah. it's enjoyable for a while. But I mean, it's just hard to roll. I mean, it's it's, it's the same thing when uh, the kids transition to the adult class. Sometimes it's hard to roll with some of the adults because they're so much bigger. He he is way bigger. His his arms are as big as my legs, and uh, and I don't have the tiny chicken legs either. But like, he's just a big <laughs> person, and it's just it's just hard for me to. I can't move him. I have to maneuver around him. But it's an interesting dynamic as far as, okay, let's start with me on your back. And I want to see and, – and he, he is very complimentary on my my my, my back system and, and working from his back. Uh, and a lot of times he'll escape, but it takes a little while. But he'll hop on my back. And usually I can't get enough movement to, to get out of that. But, like, it's just – yeah, we, we don't – I don't roll with him, but I don't mind positional sparring with him because it's a it's a more – clean training environment for that but i don't fight him either like that's not what we're that's not at all what we're doing and he's happy to get those time because he does he'll come in he'll stretch he'll warm up he'll stretch some more i'll positional spar with him he might roll with another person and he's looking at being done like he doesn't want that he he enjoys hard training but he doesn't get it a lot of times but i mean that's why i tried to push him to go to, to fox because they got a lot of big guys who uh would be able to push him better than what i can uh but I, I don't know what his schedule is like or what he's wanting to do with his jiu-jitsu, but uh, yeah, that's that's up to him. But I'm I'm with Joe in that camp as far as the same thing in the fire department business. I'm not hiring people. I don't I don't make those decisions. They hand you a rookie, 
and it's your job. It's my job to work with him to make him the best that he could be or she could be. And and, and I, I've seen a lot of people complain that rookie sucks. You know they they're worthless. They can't do this or that. Like, well, how much did you work with them? What did you teach them? How did you how did you correct their mistakes that they made? A lot of times it's not much. <laughs> they don't do much with them. They just expect them to be great on their own. That doesn't happen. Yeah, and I'll bet you, Byron, there are some firehouses where rookies just seem to do better at those houses than others. I know that on the boats, there's there's certain captains that have created a culture where people just they fit in. They all strive for excellence together, and there's some boats that doesn't happen on. Yeah, and I would hope that's the type of uh, firehouse that I work in. I, you know, it's hard to evaluate yourself and, and your own crew all the time, but I think we make pretty good rookies. So yeah, good good one, Joe, as well, and and tying that in with with rough guys on the mat. <laughs> it's it, you know as as we're telling these stories, uh, you've listened to two black belts talk about somebody who ultimately is just too rough around the edges to have good roles with. That's re- that's reality. Like if if Gary's walking with bloody lip and upset with the guy, and I'm not training the guy, um, you know, full roles because it's just too brutal and it's not what I want to do. Like. That's anybody then. Like, it, it, that's okay if that's you and you just got your blue belt or your pro belt or your brown or black belt and this guy doesn't care about your safety or today's not the day for you. You don't feel like rolling that hard or whatever it is. That's a normal situation. And, you know, Gary and I aren't world class athletes, but we're pretty darn good at jiu-jitsu. I mean, I'm not trying to, you know, we don't brag on the show, but we've been training since 2002 and uh, I think we're getting better every year. But if there's people that, they're like, no, thanks, not rolling with you today. I got another guy. I got a, So I'll roll with that guy, Gary. I got a guy that I won't roll with just because I feel he, he's uh, extremely athletic, uh, high-level wrestler, I don't know, 215 or so pounds. I feel like my safety I know exactly is – I, I feel like this, yeah. my safety is the last priority in his mind. I'm not going to roll with yeah. him. If he doesn't care about my safety, I don't – he could be the same size or smaller. I don't want to roll with somebody who doesn't care about my safety on the mat. Yeah, that's how I am. I mean, I don't. I wasn't that like that when I first started, but uh, you know, now I, I I want somebody who cares about my safety. I got a job to go to. Um, you know, I need to bring in money to support my family, and uh, I need, I want to keep training. It's the, it's my favorite thing, uh, favorite hobby in life to do. And uh, if I can't train, I'd be miserable. But I, I've had conversations with this guy, and it's just a different mentality. It, I think it comes from the wrestling mentality of if we're on the mats. We're competing. We're not. Tr- we're not. That's more of a wrestling thing. You're competing for a spot for varsity. And although I'm your teammate, I'm also your competition. And it, he just can't break that mentality. Once, once it's kind of like I see you see it more in striking sports. You know, Gary and I are boxing, which is maybe only happens uh-huh. once or twice. Which happens <laughs> but, every, every day. <laughs> you know, Gary hits me. I hit him. We're you know we're we're working our movement and stuff. And then suddenly I hit Gary a little bit harder than we've been hitting. Kind of an accident. But then Gary comes over and hits me a little bit harder than that. Now I'm getting kind of pissed. And now I hit Gary harder than that. And now we're basically fighting with boxing gloves on and pretending that we're doing training. Like that's sometimes the mentality of people. Like I could start the role with him and for a minute or so it'd be good. And then I wrap up his head and, and, and try to do a submission with that. He's mad. It's like I punched him in the face. It's not what I'm here to do. <laughs> See though, I never really felt those. And, and I know your nickname used to be Byron pillow hands, Jabara when you were boxing. <laughs> Because I put you to sleep. 
<laughs> I always thought it was because your hands were soft like pillows. Oh, yeah, that's true. A lot of times you'll, the feathers will just come out of somewhere when I'm getting hit. I don't know <laughs> what's going on. <laughs> uh, let's uh, let's get past that one. Do you ever get hit so hard milk comes out your nose? <laughs> no. Comes out somewhere else, huh? Yeah. <laughs> Joe, uh, I don't want to uh, cut you off here. Did you have an, anything else to, to bring in? Uh, well, no, but... Uh... I thought that was great. Joe. That was great. Because that... <laughs> I, I personally think that could be one of the, the biggest things is communication. And, uh, you know, Byron pointed it out to me that, you know, I, I wasn't using communication in that point. And then uh, you guys both, you know, pointed out to me that, you know, I could probably communicate better, too. So, yeah. I, I do like where you guys took that, though, when you're talking about the intensity of the role, Byron. You were talking about the boxing and one hits a little harder than the other. And I was going to ask you guys if you thought there's hardly anything more valuable in a training partner than their ability to match and control levels, yes. levels of intensity. You know, I, I, I've seen, uh, and you guys have too, where you've got a black belt on the mat, who's a superior athlete to anybody else, and he'll roll with. 15 different guys, all ages, all belt levels, and every role will kind of look like a competitive role. And and that's a, a skill that, man, it, that makes a great training partner. Yep. Best yeah. people in the world to roll with have that, can be able to do that. Those are my favorite people. Yeah, I, I agree. That's th- Those are always fun roles, and anybody could roll with that person and have fun. From new person to experience, and that's, that's uh, great people to have around. Yep, I'm going to give a shout out here real quick. And, uh, you know, Byron knows who I'm talking about, but, you know, I've rolled with him a couple times. He's one of Byron's main training partners, but Cody Carrillo is uh, that guy. I mean, you roll with him and there's no egos. Uh, uh, you we're just, you're just trying everything. No pressure, no jaw choking. It's just a, it's a fun, competitive role that you don't have any injuries coming out and, you're just smiling from ear to ear the whole time. Yeah, and he's he, he will roll with a black belt like that, and he will roll with a white belt like that. It yep. the, everyone's getting a good roll every time when you roll with Cody. And and this is coming people. from a, a Bellator fighter. Um, you know, just a, you know an incredible athlete. And uh, you, you think you know you watch him in the 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 cage there, and you're like, oh, this guy's vicious. You get on the mat with him, and man, he's just a technical machine that you just have so much fun rolling with him. Yeah, he. I always think when I think of him, I think he's a martial artist. He's uh, he wants yeah, to learn more and get better and develop his skill and craft. Yeah, that's a that's a great way to explain him. Well, I'll get on to my off the mat uh, lessons, or we could just call the show there. We, yeah. we, <laughs> it's been fun, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, our scheduled time to end this has elapsed. <laughs> no, but we should, uh, honest feedback, we, we should pin down the time more. And as far as the weekend goes, we typically record on a Saturday or a Sunday. It's a lot of time Sunday morning, but uh, it's nothing consistent. And I think that's just the way it is because we do have schedules that rotate. Trying to get three guys to match up their schedules is difficult, but I think that we're all pretty open. Uh, sometimes we get it's yeah. it's helpful to have negative guys like I can't do Saturday perfect it's going to be Sunday yeah. I can't do this weekend hey, at all. Hey Gary, 
How many yeah. times do you think Byron messages us and says, you guys free to record this weekend? And he <laughs> and he's working one of those two days. What he really yeah. means is, are you free Saturday? Or yeah, I should say that. <laughs> yeah. Well, if you guys you do know, it on, it without is, me, that's fine. <laughs> it is crazy schedules, though, between all of us. And, you know, I'm much easier right now just because uh, with basketball being canceled. Because um, you guys know, it seems like I have three games every freaking day on a weekend. That's yeah, true. That's for sure. I hadn't thought about that. Uh, so I, I'm, I need to recruit one of you guys to be a uh, training firefighter. And I'll walk you through a process and we'll take some off the lessons from that. So who I would want like... this to be Gary. I, I want it to be Gary. Gary, <laughs> you've been signed up. Cool. I don't know <laughs> if I can pass. Yeah. Uh, you know, academy. We're just so Gary. We're just talking about driving, and this is the first really driving position that we have on the on on the Wichita Fire Department. Uh, you're going to be driving what we call and and so names of fire. So anybody that's a firefighter that's listening to this, names of fire apparatus uh, throughout the country or world are often different. And so uh, here in Wichita, we call it a squad. It's basically like a big pickup that we use for fighting grass fires and brush fires and it makes it, it, it goes to a lot of medical calls so if there's a, a squad in a ladder truck or a squad in an engine at the firehouse and a call comes out for chest pains the squad goes and the engine or ladder or whatever else stays available for potentially a fire or the next medical call that comes out so uh, very busy trucks and they, they 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 we run them all the time but anyway so gary you're gonna learn how to drive that today <laughs> And Sweet. there's definitely an, an aspect to learning how to drive trucks that are bigger than most vehicles. Uh, it's nice to start you on the squad because it's not that big. It's there are there are people that have personal trucks that are bigger than this thing. Uh, it does carry a lot of water, so it's pretty heavy. But uh, so you'll learn that we drive you through some cones. We'll get you some comfortable, get some miles on the streets, and that sort of thing. So the driving part of it isn't super hard on everyday traffic. So I, I'd imagine you would, you would master that within the afternoon. You would figure out how to not hit curbs all the time and that sort of thing. But when I was a rookie, and I've been a firefighter since 2008, I got to be driving one of these trucks, and it came time to drive. Uh, we'll say drive hot or emergency traffic or with the lights and sirens on, we'll say hot. It'll be easy. We'll stick with that through, throughout the story. Or not really a story, but situation. This training class. So when it's time to drive hot, I was just really not taught anything as far as here's how you turn the lights on and you're going to drive hot. And as far as I need to approach the intersection and I need to manage that in a safe way. And it, I didn't know. And I was fortunate to not have any accidents. I've never had an accident in my entire career. Hopefully, this, this air that still remains true. <laughs> I feel like I'm jinxing myself on that one. But uh, anyway, so Gary, when you approach an intersection and you're driving with your lights and sirens on, you have to assume that not everybody can hear. Because what? Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> you don't have to have you don't have to have the ability to hear to drive. So some people are deaf. And in the course of a career, they will hit you because they don't hear your sirens. So always assume that people don't hear you and give, give, just make that benefit of the doubt a thing. Now, over the years, I've talked to other drivers. I've learned and I've studied how to drive safely 
at you know driving emergency traffic and then so intersections are notoriously a dangerous spot to to approach so gary when you approach the intersection you're going to have three or four lanes of traffic uh you'll have some people turning left you'll have some people going straight some people turning right and you're going to approach that and you're going to try to pass everybody to their left okay pretty simple right as you do this uh you're going to actually approach the intersection let's say the light's red we're going to go through this red light. We're not going to wait for it to change, obviously. Uh, I need you to focus what you're doing to your left because the cars that are going to hit you first, <laughs> although nobody's going to hit you if we do this just right, uh, the cars that are going to hit you first will be the ones from the left because as you come out in traffic, the left-hand lane, and here in the U.S., we drive on the right-hand side of the road, so people driving Man, I can make this really confusing by trying to explain the left and right. But so the first lane of traffic that will be able to hit you will be to your left. Does that make sense, Gary? Yes. Okay. The reason why I wanted to do this to one of you is that if something doesn't make sense, ask me as a student and we'll we'll go back. Because I've had this conversation dozens of times with, with people. So you want to control each lane. And as you control that first lane, which is usually a right, a right-hand turn lane, uh, they'll stop. And there's a second lane or third lane, people who are wanting to probably go to, to go straight – you need to make sure that those cars are stopped. If that if the car in the third lane wants to drive up to the intersection and then stop, you have to wait for that to happen. You can't assume they see or hear you. Okay, and then of course you have the people who are turning left. You know, they usually they wait. For, they get like an arrow or whatever. You need them to stop as well. Once all of the lanes of traffic have stopped, that are to your left. Then you could start and, – and it's not like you just stare out to your left. You're looking both, but that's your priority. Now you want to do the same thing to the right. But the benefit of what you've done – because the way I originally did this, and I just had to make it up, is I would just stop way back kind of behind the crosswalk and let the intersection shut itself down. Now we're going to start inching our way out there. As each lane is controlled, we can go with that lane. We can go to the next lane. People will see you. You're out. You're making yourself present. You're, you're being seen. It's a lot easier. By the time it comes time to control the stuff to the right-hand side, they, you're already halfway in the intersection. You, you're pretty prominent presence. You're big. You're red. You're making a lot of noise. Your lights are going. And so those lanes will shut down a lot quicker if they haven't already. So clear those, and we'll proceed in the direction we want to go. Pretty simple. It's just a bit of a system, though, and it takes some time to get used to because we're not used to running lights. Gary, I imagine the amount of red lights you've run has probably been minimal <laughs> or accidental. Uh, so the whole thing is when I started driving a fire truck, it was chaotic to me to approach the intersection, to figure out what, how to do it safely, get through it. And now, and, and as a department, we've made a lot of great changes but when I, when I work with a, with a rookie, I give them a system, like I just handed you, Gary, to get through this intersection safely, controlled, to account for the whatever percent of people don't hear you, we, to do this safely. Because most accidents happen uh, e- either backing up intersections. Those, those are two very dangerous uh, spots. Backing up is not dangerous, but it's accident prone. Anyway, uh, so now you have a system. And same thing with jujitsu. It seems chaotic when you're brand new at jujitsu. It's there's a there's about a million positions. They all are something different. Nothing makes sense. I'm getting choked. My arms getting twisted. I don't understand what's going on. This isn't the same mount that the other guy did. This is a totally different mount. It's confusing me. As you learn a system to deal with different positions and to bring it back to 
the jiu-jitsu that you're comfortable with. So if, if Gary wants to play half guard, how many ways does Gary have to get to half guard? He's got a lot of ways. He's getting it back in his system. It's less confusing. So as uh, the system is given to you and, and you're working with it and you're driving through the, the red lights, you have a system to shut this intersection down safely and move on. It's not confusing. It's not chaotic. It's, it's very good. And I like just to think of it as developing systems for your jiu-jitsu. Are you ready to run some red lights, Gary? Yes. <laughs> See, what I'm going to do is I'm going to put a big old push bar on the front, and uh, I'm just going to crank the lights as loud as I can and the the siren, and uh, I'm going to go through that thing aggressively. They're, they're, what's yeah, going to so, happen is you're going to get T-boned. It so doesn't matter. You, I'll keep you, running. You need the uh, <laughs> you, you need aggressive. the ability to not get hit from the side. No, but I do tell – so I'll, another discussion, and this isn't part of my off-the-mat lessons, but – Driving a big truck, if you hit somebody, there's a good chance you're going to seriously injure or kill somebody. Like a big truck coming through, hitting a small car or a motorcycle or a bike or whatever, like those are disasters. And so it's different than just being in a, a normal accident. When you put a fire truck in there, it's a bad accident. And so I try Have to you stress that. Hovercraft? I haven't ever Hovercraft? worked on that, Gary. That might be a good idea. You wouldn't even have to worry about traffic. <laughs> well, well, uh, at this point, uh, Gary's one of them firefighters that just doesn't have the right attitude. <laughs> and I'm trying to get him off my ship, right, Joe? Right. <laughs> like, I'm a, I'm a supervisor. <laughs> <laughs> so did, did, I don't know if I've – so I've explained this many times to many, many firefighters, but we've been driving around. We've had examples visual. Did that make sense, Joe? It, it did make sense. And um, what, one way that I would drag this back into the jiu-jitsu realm is if you're new to jiu-jitsu, if you're just thinking about going, you don't know what to expect, uh, you probably know somebody else that's already going. Maybe that's part of the reason you're interested. Ask them a ton of questions. Uh, go on the internet. Uh, look at some technique videos. Uh, the more information you have going into a situation, the easier it's going to be for you to navigate your way through that. I would add, though, that uh, I think part of what you're getting at, Byron, with the the uh, chaos of those situations where things are happening quick, a lot of things happening all at once, that to an extent, the only way to get through that is just to continue to put yourself in that situation. So getting a lot of information beforehand will make the first encounter easier, but it's still going to seem to be quick and chaotic the first couple of times. But as you get more time in that situation, things will start to slow down. I love that point, Joe. Um, you know, put yourself in that situation. You get more comfortable with it. And uh, like you said, things start slowing down. You're seeing everything better as it comes towards you. Okay, let's move on to the next lesson in this, gentlemen, as you uh, put your gear on and we head to this next call, is we don't drive the same to all emergencies. Uh, that might That may or may not seem intuitive to you. So, I think the fastest I've ever driven to an alarm is we, we've got uh, – it's a drowning call. It, it came out a few years ago, and it, it happened a few – I use I tried not to use like slang. It, it happened a few years ago, and we're reading on the computer, and dispatch is telling us it's a kid. He's in the water. His head's going in the water. He's going into the water. He's coming back up. He's in a pond. All of these things are like seconds are super critical. Like, this kid's going to drown. This kid's going to drown in a pond, and he's going to be super hard to find. 
this is this is terrible. It's, he's two and a half miles from the station. I drove as fast as I could. Now, I drove. It didn't hit anything. And it was it was you know there were no accidents. But I was pushing it. If I drove like that to every call, I'm sure I would have a few accidents under my belt or under my suspenders. Like I, you can't do that. And, and so we drive pretty darn fast to to fires. When, when you read, you know, there's a fire and you know this is happening, whatever. We drive. That's pretty much this as fast as we go. Slightly faster, if I could, I don't know, to this kid that was drowning. Now the kid lived. <laughs> we got in the water. We got him. And but it was it was seconds were important. Uh, so. That's different than going to a call where there's there's chest pains, which is an emergency. We'll drive a lot with the with the lights and sirens on. We're not driving as fast as a fire where two minutes means one room is burned up, and three minutes is the room and the hallways burned up, and four minutes is the basically the house is going to burn. Like they're different. Uh, heart attack, we need to get there quickly, or chest pains, we need to get there quickly, but you know also safely. There's a balance there. We need to gauge that. Compared to something like an injury, somebody uh, has a has a cut on their hand that maybe they lost a finger. Ultimately, that's not life threatening. We're going to get there pretty quick. Uh, now, some things are uh, somebody fell down and they need help getting back up. We're going to adjust our speed there. We're, we may not even drive fast. That we're within a few miles, and we'll be there in a couple minutes. So we just need to judge the appropriate level of speed that we're going to approach the the uh, get to the scene with. Some guys have a hard time doing that if if gary you're driving me and we're going to go uh, pick up somebody who fell out of bed and you're driving like like the house is on fire we're gonna have a problem <laughs> i need to communicate like joe was saying with you say gary slow down this is just we're just gonna pick somebody up when we get there this isn't uh, you know this doesn't warrant that sort of speed to putting everyone at danger including ourselves we need to get there super safe like it's not justified to drive that fast so I think just the appropriate level of speed is is something that sometimes needs to be addressed with some firefighters. They just want to drive crazy, fast, all the time. Not appropriate. That being said, I'm not going to roll super hard with everybody I roll with. I need to adjust that level. If I'm rolling with somebody who is really tired, let's say somebody's doing like a marathon jujitsu roll. They've rolled for seven hours straight. They're going to go to 10. I'm not going to roll super hard with that person. That's just honestly, that's just rude. <laughs> I'm going to make sure that they're doing okay. We're going to have some interesting uh, interactions back and forth, maybe. But uh, that's not the person you go roll hard with. Somebody's brand new and struggling with understanding what they're trying to do. I'm not going to roll hard with that person. If somebody is a, a solid purple belt and giving me a hard time, I'm going to pick it up. If somebody is uh, an old buddy I haven't trained with for two years, a black belt, we're probably going to roll pretty hard. There's just ways to 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 gauge and, and level up or down, like Joe was talking about earlier today, your level of training. Same thing with driving uh, different speeds to calls. Byron, I like that, and I, I like the way you focus on, you know, on the team. And, it, you know, if you're rolling with somebody that's not uh, looking for that kind of role, you don't uh, roll like that. But I would also say for your own training and your own safety, your own development, uh, you might be a 25-year-old purple belt who's rolling with a bunch of other 25 and 28-year-old purple belts. And if you want to go 95, 98% every roll, you'll find training partners that will do that. But is that what's best for you in the long run? You know, if you're competitive, you need to taper off sometimes a little bit before uh, 
a competition or uh, if you get an injury, you need to be able to taper off. So even just for your own safety and your own development, I think you need to be able to uh, regulate your training intensity. Good point, Joe. I, I like that. And uh, I think that's, that's valuable advice for the people who oftentimes need it the most as far as being able to train hard a lot. But you need to be able to to look at it long term. So, Gary, are you good on how fast you should be driving us to certain alarms? And if you need help, I'll, I will help you on that. Yep, fast as possible. To get there. <laughs> okay. I told you, I'm, I'm offensive. Yes, you, <laughs> highly. you are offensive. <laughs> <laughs> okay, guys, I'll, I'll, I'll wash my shirt before we roll. Thank you. Wash my rash guard. <laughs> uh, and also don't leave it in a, in a zipped up bag for a week before you wash it. Okay, the next element. So I'm just going to – we'll do three things. So there's a lot of different things about driving uh, fire apparatus that we could talk about, but I've kind of picked three of them that seem to be pretty big. The next one here, Gary, is the truck you're driving. If we go to a house fire, we're not going to use the truck itself. So it's basically just moving us to the fire. Uh, Moving passengers. It's what? Moving people. Yeah, it's just people the people mover. mover. It's just because we're on that truck. Our gear's on the truck. It's So it's not a ladder truck. It's not going to bring a whole bunch of ladders and equipment, no saws that we're going to be using. Uh, it's not an engine where the pump needs to be a reasonable distance that we could pull line off and pump. Uh, we don't need to park by a hydrant. We don't want to park by a hydrant. <laughs> and so parking is a, is a pretty big deal driving these trucks. And, and being a rookie, the good thing about this parking is you just need to not screw it up. You just need to not park in a bad spot. And so at this point, once we've, we've driven some, through some cones and some practice, we've talked about how fast to drive. We talked about how to get through intersections. We're going to have to definitely talk about how to park at a house fire. And some of the things we talk about is I live in a pretty diverse area as far as different houses. Some houses are big. Some houses are very small. Some neighborhoods are very tight, and some neighbors have – you know, acres and acres for, for land. These things matter when it comes to parking this, this truck at a, at a fire scene. So a lot of times this truck will, like I said, it's just basically like a big pickup, will end up uh, a good parking spot will be in a neighbor's driveway. Now, so Gary, we're going to drive around for an afternoon and we're going to look at driveways. Or we're going to say this house over here, this blue one, that's on fire. Where are you going to park? And you're going to drive up to it. And you're going to say, I'm going to drive past it. Driving past it is a very nice thing because it lets you see three sides of the house. And you maybe see fire on one side and then you drive past it. Oh, there's fire on both sides of this thing. Like that's a big deal to know that. And so we try to pull past the house. And so Gary will be doing that. But, you know, which driveway you pick? Maybe the neighbor's driveway, that's where the chief a lot of times will pull in with his truck. And he'll get to see this the fire and command it from his pickup. That's great. Uh, so maybe across the street, the neighbor's house. So you say that one right there is what I park. Perfect, Gary. And so we go to another house. How about this house? Where would you park in this one? And I'm not a big fan of parking in driveways that are narrow. I like in Wichita, a lot of our driveways, we have double garages and we have a, a driveway that's two cars wide. Those are super easy to park our fire truck. So Gary, you're going to be driving. You're going to be amped up. You're just going to have driven past a house that has fire shooting out of it. I don't need you hitting a mailbox. <laughs> I, don't, I don't want you to hit another car. I don't want you to hit anything. So I don't like – I prefer that the driveway be double double the width of a car and also have no mailbox. But sometimes the mailbox is okay. So the bad driveways are the ones that are just one car length 
or width wide and have a mailbox. Those are probably pretty bad. So at that point, we'll probably go down the street in another house and just park it off to the side of the road. And so what we're going to do, Gary, we're going to go spend an afternoon, go to 10, 15, 20 houses, depends how we're doing. And you're going to pick a house for me and and then I'll drive and, and say, I'm going to park right here and tell you where I'm going to park. And then I'll pick one for you and I'll say, well, actually, that was a great spot. Or maybe you need a little bit of work. That's probably the, where the chief would go. And we'll kind of just plan out how we're going to do this. One big complaint about squad drivers, is that's what this is called, the squad, this pickup, is they park in a bad spot and they kind of ruin the scene. If you park in the, the, the spot that the ladder truck wants to go, he parks in the spot that the engine wants to go, and nobody's happy. And it's all because of a thing that just moved two people there parked in a bad spot. It's not what you want to do. You don't want to block the lane. Uh, so we need to have another truck come through here and lay down some hose. <laughs> and if you park in a way that clogs traffic, that's also bad. There's only bad things really with with nobody says great job parking. They just say, well, that one messed up the scene. Uh, so we'll train on this, Gary, and I'll get to where you make good decisions every time. They may not be the same decision I'd make about where to park, but it's a good decision. Then the next thing is, and I do this, this is one of my stronger suits as, as far as run, helping run this truck, is when we're going to a fire, I, I will tell them. I, I'll tell, so after we do this training, Gary, I'll say, I'm going to prompt you that parking spot is important, but I'm not going to tell you where to park. You know, you know where to park. We've trained on this. You'll figure it out when you get there. I have other things I'm doing. So I'm basically outsourcing where you're going to park this truck when we get there. That takes it off my plate. But I will prompt you and remind you about a mile or half mile out where you park is important because what guys do is they forget. They see those flames. They see people standing in the yard yelling at them. They just park. They pull, they pull over and put it in the park. It's a bad spot. <laughs> so I just give them that little prompt. And I'm responsible for this truck ends up. But it's nice to have somebody who's fully trained and, a good, and able to do it. So that's it. Um, where you so as as we're coming into this house, this the fire, see smoke, maybe two miles out, there's smoke coming out. Man, this is gonna be a big fire. So uh before we turn the corner to turn the neighborhood, hey Gary, remember where you park's important and you're gonna you're gonna know where to go. And that's it. That's all you get from me, unless you have a question, but we don't have time to be figuring out math questions here. We gotta go to work. So every time that has worked great. Uh the the people know how to park and do a good job. And I'm reminded of uh, after ADCC, I got to interview John Danaher briefly and ask him about his coaching because I was really interested in his coaching methods. He's very calm. He sits off to the side and he just he just tells observations really to the athlete. You know, hey, you know, look at the leg or heads up on this. Nothing. He's not not a cheerleader, not doing anything like that. And he's really just pointing things out so they are prompted. And that's all that I'm wanting to do there. I just want to prompt you about this important thing before we actually get to do some work. That's it. As it, as Jusu coaches, a lot of times we're a second set of eyes off to the side that is watching a match in a third-person perspective. Maybe we see things that the athlete doesn't see. Maybe we need to remind them. Maybe they're a bit flustered. Their adrenaline's going too much. Remind them, you know, hey, start working your half-guard game. Start working for a sweep. You're down two points. Just some outside help. That's all they need to get their game going. So that's what I got on that. Uh, and and I don't know. I, I really enjoyed talking to John Danaher about 
coaching and in him, he's just like, I just prompt them and, and give them some observations. I don't really know what's happening out there. I can't feel it. I don't know if they're in pain or if they've been injured or whatever. I'm just helping feed information. And that's in that situation, I'm just giving them a prompt where you park is a big deal. You know what to do. When we get there, do it. So, Gary, where are you going to park? <laughs> well, you know, it kind of goes back to like Joe was talking about earlier, uh, you know, off of your observation. But uh, you're doing a bunch of uh, test runs. You're, you're training. You're, you're, you know, during the middle of your shift, you're, you're getting in that truck and you're driving around neighborhoods and, uh, and practicing. So when it does become time for a real fire, for a real emergency, you're going to be prepared. You've been down that road before. You're going to be more, uh, you're going to see things, as Joe said, a little bit slower, um, be able to react quicker. Um, but Hey, I do have a question, Byron. Um, Byron and I, we train with a lot of firefighters and police officers. And I have heard police officers getting on you firefighters for the way you guys park at a scene that probably has both police and fire trucks. Like, do you guys ever work together on that? Um, you know, like where to park? Do you guys talk to each other? Because I, I, I know I've heard that come up three or four times you know when we're training between cops and firefighters talking and it always seems like the cops are talking about the way the firefighters park yeah i I don't so the scenes i was talking about today about you know a house fire that sort of thing sometimes a a police officer will will stumble upon that middle of the night they're out driving around no one's around oh there's a house on fire okay don't park in front of the house (laughs) like get the address gigs try to get everybody out Call you know call nine one whatever, but you're gonna have to move your your car out of the way. Don't park by hydrant. But do you guys do you guys talk to police officers a little about bit? That? So okay, the, the the more common situation that we we interact with with a, in a parking situation is that car accidents. Uh, yeah. So our bigger vehicles do a better job of of blocking traffic because it's always a nightmare situation where you're on the scene and somebody just comes plowing through uh, on their phone or drunk. And yeah. here we are, we're out of our vehicles, and that could happen. It's never happened to me so far. I've been in a few scenes where there have been additional it. accidents. But our bigger trucks are better at blocking just because they have a lot of mass. So if you want to slam into that with your small car, it's not going to move and kill everybody who's been involved in the accident. But a cop car is smaller, and it will get pushed further. So we prefer to block with our our bigger trucks. But eventually, uh, we're going to have to go, and they're going to have to – They every city is different. But uh, we take care of the patients. We secure the vehicles. We, you know, we take care of that sort of thing. But ultimately, we leave the scene with the police officers, who, who, you know, write tickets and, um, you know, call the tow truck and that sort of thing. That's their that's their category. And if it if it's a seems like a safe environment, it's not on some big highway. It's pretty, you know, it's it's maybe an easier road to to control safely. We'll, we'll, I always talk with, Hey, you guys good with us going or do you want to park behind you or what do you you want us to do? Most of the time they're good. I feel good about this. I'm fine. I got a few cones up and I got my car back, you know, 50 feet or so, whatever it is. Um, but yeah, I always ask them if they're good with us leaving the scene because we do have a better way to protect the people working at the scene because we just have more mass. Perfect. Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely makes sense. Other things are if, like, let's say there's a shooting, uh, we, we the cops will park. Um, they like to roll in together. <laughs> yeah, they don't well, want to be by yourself. They to, yeah, 
And you guys are going to hide behind them, so you'll come in later. Yeah, but we do need to eventually get in there to – We, I mean, I don't have a gun on me at work, but we eventually need to get in there and take care of a person who's been shot. Well, Byron, I've, I've seen your arms. Some people would call those guns. Yeah, maybe one or two. <laughs> you, yeah, Gary, you're, you're basically lying to everybody at that point. Uh, yeah, so there's just different modes. of. It depends on the calls. Uh, and it, the difficult thing about driving a cop car, which I've never done – but they go super fast. So the truck you're driving, Gary, on this little make it made up scenario thing, it has 400 yeah. gallons well, of got water a, on it. It goes yeah, kind of slow. It's it's not the most agile piece of equipment. It's it's one of the quicker ones we have. But you you put a new cop behind a, the wheel of a cop car, they they can do 130, and they have that's hard to control that. And it goes again to you know, is it appropriate to go that fast for this type of a call? Maybe. Depends on the call. Depends on the time of day. The school just get out. Did, I mean, there's a whole bunch of variables that come into play. It takes time to get used to those and, and to make the good decisions. So, yeah, I can go on, but uh, I think this has been a long enough episode. <laughs> <laughs> You've only been going out for about an hour there, Brian. I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> I should have just picked one or two examples, but I get excited. I, so I have, I really have a couple passions, and one of them is jujitsu. Another one is firefighting, and it's you know, same thing if if we're doing a fire thing and someone's talking about, not talking about jujitsu, I would probably go on and on about jujitsu. <laughs> I'm passionate about it. That's good. I mean, you're it shows. I mean, like you said, uh, I I was thinking when you were talking about it, I would like to be a rookie at your squad. Uh, you know, I I feel like I'd be probably treated better and get more uh, training if I was on the same shift as you. I would try, Gary, but you know, with yeah. You're so ornery, man. <laughs> oh, we get along great. Yeah. Anyway, uh, I want to briefly review next week. We have Justin Raider. Gary, yes. I know you're excited about that. You want to say anything nice about Justin before next week? <laughs> what do they expect next week? You, know, you, you want to talk about, you know, Byron was just talking about passion. This guy has passion galore. Um, you know, if if you ever don't feel like training, just listen to him talk, and uh, you will feel like training. So, um, just an incredible uh, martial artist. Yeah, so happy to have him back on the show. He, uh, I've already recorded the interview. He did awesome, and uh, I'm excited to bring that to you guys. So, uh, yeah, that's next week. We'll skip the article this week because uh, – I guess Gary and uh, Joe did the notes, and it's already been an hour fire. plus, hour and a half plus. Yeah, we had it out there, but uh, you, you. I don't. I haven't read it, guys. Hey, how'd you like my quote? I just pulled a quote out of nowhere <laughs> to make it look awesome. like Joe and I did something. <laughs> that was awesome, man. <laughs> I'm impressed, Gary. Thank you. That, that's that's years of podcasting experience and coming through. Joe, Joe just starts recording the start of it, you know, before, you know. <laughs> with it. And yeah, that's proud of Joe. It, it all pieced together. Who would have thought doing this thing for hundreds of times would would make it easier? Uh, 361 times. That's true. Thunk. All right. Well, until next time, uh, stay sweaty, my friends. And don't forget to drive properly to the fire. Train hard, train smart, and... Get better, guys. We'll see you on the mats. (laughs) I was like, what the heck is that? (laughs) That's 
pretty good. Nice. Joe, all, right. Joe. Thank you. all right, come back, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening. I hope you find the time today to roll. After all, the best way to get better at Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is to do Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. You can visit our website at bjjbrick.com for more good times. Swing by and like our Facebook page. Our email is bjjbrick at gmail.com.